0: As you take your seats, I invite you to turn back with me to Matthew chapter 6. We will once again read verses 5 through 14 as we continue to look at the Sermon on the Mount, now specifically looking here at the Lord's Prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we truly need the clarity of the teaching of Jesus Christ for our prayer lives. And so speak to us afresh through this teaching of Christ and help us truly not only to take it to heart, but to put it into practice, as we are a people who pray, as we are defined in Christ, as being the people of a heavenly Father. Bless us, O heavenly Father, as we pray and as we listen. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. There is a way to be a follower of Christ that can and does completely and totally contradict the faith that is professed. Let that hit you for a second. It is possible to be someone who professes faith in Jesus Christ and yet whose life, whether that is inwardly or externally, can actually be a contradiction to the the very content of the faith that is professed. This is what Jesus has been impressing upon us from the very beginning of this sermon. The people of God at the time in which Jesus is giving this sermon had come under the influence of the scribes and the Pharisees. And the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees was a righteousness in which the faith that they professed, they actually contradicted. And so Jesus is going about the business of reforming the imagination of faith in the followers of God, so that rather than continuing to live according to the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees that we would have a true understanding of what God has been teaching from the beginning of time as that has been recorded in the Old Testament scriptures and is being fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ. The ministry of Christ, the life of Christ, is the very embodiment of what of of, of what true faith is and what it looks like. And part of what God is calling our attention to in this portion of the sermon is that, yes, when we strive to embrace the virtues of the kingdom and when we strive to embrace the values of the kingdom, that will reveal itself in certain practices. But the practices, the practices can contradict the very virtue and values that we say we're holding on to. If you pray in public and don't pray in private, you're contradicting the realities of the kingdom, Jesus says. If you pray to be heard by the, the people around you rather than to be heard by god you're contradicting the realities of the kingdom. The Christian faith not only has practices that are are that are to be to be lived out those practices are to be governed by Answering questions like, why am I practicing this? And how am I practicing this? The whys and the hows, Jesus is telling us, are just as important as the what's. Now Jesus is working off of that, that foundational approach to spirituality that was Already being lived out in israel at at this time, where when you went to temple, which was the the foundational um, way in which you lived out your faith, when you went to temple, you would give alms, you would pray and 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 so he's building off of that, and he's asking when you come to do this right he doesn't say if you 're going to be a follower of me that you need to give alms, he assumes you're giving alms. He doesn't say you need to pray. He assumes you're praying. When we get to fasting, he doesn't say you need to fast. He assumes you're going to fast, right? He's assuming all of this. What he's after is, why are you doing it and how are you doing it? There is a way in which we can practice the Christian faith that actually contradicts the content of the faith. If we are living for men, then we are living for what is fallen, what is temporary, and what can cannot ultimately satisfy. And so when you pray, do you pray for those reasons? Or do you pray for the eternal blessing of a heavenly father? Jesus tells us that don't pray like the hypocrite. And the hypocrite, we know throughout the Gospels, he's typically referring to the scribes and Pharisees. They pray to be seen publicly. They, they pray to be thought of well by others. And he says, don't pray that way. If you pray that way, then that's all you get. You get to be thought of well by other fallen people who are going to die and pass away. And if that's what you're wanting, fine. Pray the way that they do. But if what you really are seeking is, is the face of God in order to enjoy the blessings that God has promised, then here's the way that you pray. You pray not to be seen and appreciated by man. You pray to be seen and welcomed by your Heavenly Father. Now, he says here, a, a, a way to do that is rather than coming you know onto the street corner or coming to church and getting up and doing the big display and all that, he says pray in secret. Now, he's not saying that there's not a place for public prayer because Jesus prayed publicly. He's not saying that you don't pray with people. Because Jesus prayed with people. He prayed privately with people. He prayed publicly with people, okay? But what he is saying is, do you, before you do all that, do you pray at home when you're by yourself? Are you praying there? And when you pray there, do you pray with the same level of, attempt of eloquence that you pray when you're in public? Do you pray the same way regardless of the setting, is what Jesus is saying. There is nothing wrong with being a believer who has matured in in his or her faith that has learned more about who God is and who has learned scripture and that being reflected in their praying there is absolutely nothing wrong with that jesus is not saying approach prayer with with you know you know praying where you 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 use little baby words as if that is somehow you know, going to be a superior prayer. He's not saying pray as if you're immature in the faith, as if that's a superior prayer. What he does say is pray with childlike dependence. There's nothing wrong with expressing a mature faith in the way that you pray. But if you only do it when you're at Bible study, or when you're praying with a friend, or praying with a family member, or, or praying at church, if, if you pray with, with those expressions in those settings, but when you're by yourself, you just kind of move through the prayers, Jesus says you need to take step, a step back and reevaluate why and how you are praying. Don't pray like the hypocrite. Don't pray that way. He says, don't pray like the Gentiles. Don't pray like those who use lots of words in order to try to get the attention of God and to manipulate him into doing what you want. The Gentiles were... The people who were not of the Jewish faith at this time, they were those who were of lots of other multiple faiths and often where they had embraced multiple faiths simultaneously so that when you read about the typical Greco-Roman person back here in the first century, they, they, they did not have one God that they believed in and served. They had tons of gods and you see this reflected in their prayers and i've said this in this pulpit before you can go back and you can read the prayers and often they are praying prayers where they where they even include and i pray to this unknown god who whom i may have offended and i pray to this unknown goddess whom i may have offended they they are so uncertain of who to pray to that they're trying to cover everything all at once. And so there were times where they had specific prayers to this specific God or that specific goddess, but they also had times where they didn't know what to pray or who to pray to. But regardless, the way that they went about their prayers was a reflection of their theology. And what did they believe? Well, they believed that the gods didn't really care about them that that they that the people existed because the gods wanted slaves the gods didn't want to do the 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 work Uh, Of being gods over a society and a civilization. They wanted to play and they wanted to be engaged in recreation and they wanted to be engaged in drama and intrigue and all these different things. And when you read, you know, about, you know, the different stories and the mythologies, that's what you, that's what you find. They didn't believe that the gods cared about them. They didn't believe that the gods were even aware of them unless you were a king. If you were a king, you had a special place. In fact, if you were a king back in this day and age, you were described as being someone who was made in the image of God. But it was only the king. Everyone else was a slave. And so what do you do if if you don't believe the gods care about you, and if you don't believe the gods are even aware of you, what do you do? Well, you got to use lots of words. you got to try to get their attention. I was reminded of this in a very sweet way. Last week at lunch, as one of the little children of our congregation was trying to get, his dad's attention, and I think he said dad 12 times in a row. Dad, 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 dad. It was really fun to sit there and let's see how long this goes. Let's see how deaf the dad has become. Right? (laughs) Dad, 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 dad. Trying to secure the attention and trying to secure the care. Now, He didn't have to do all that in terms of the child of our congregation. But often that's how children think. And for the Gentiles, that's how they approached prayer. I've got to get the attention of the God, and then I've got to get him to care about what I'm going to pray about. And so how do I do that? Well, I heap up empty phrase after empty phrase after empty phrase after empty phrase that typically were phrases of flattery trying to flatter the God in order to get the God to listen and care and then to try to get the God to do what they wanted the God to do. Jesus says, don't pray like the hypocrite and don't pray like the Gentile. You don't have to pray that way. Because when you pray, you pray your heavenly Father. We don't have to try to secure the attention of our God, and we certainly don't have to secure uh, his interest in our lives. God is very clear that from the very beginning, even as you see very very clearly laid out in Isaiah, for example, that God identifies himself as I am your creator. And I have made you for my glory. That God has revealed to us that everything that he is doing with what he has made is for the purpose of his glory. And so he cares about how we are involved in his story. He cares about uh, what, what roles we are playing and how we are engaging with him and with one another in this life. He cares because he has made us to be sharers and participants in his glory. He created us in his image, and he placed us in this this garden sanctuary where we were living in, in this innocent worship with the triune God. And what was offered to us was to enter into a perfected worship forevermore with the triune God. And Adam rejected that our very first prophet, priest, and king said no. But God has been restoring this through the true prophet, the true priest, and the true king, Jesus Christ, to secure for God's people that the longing of his heart, which is to dwell with those whom he has made, in order for them to enjoy His glory along with Him, that this is going to happen. And so we don't have to secure these things. We rejected them. God is securing them. Because God wants them more than we want them. God is securing for us. So not only has He revealed Himself to us as Creator, He reveals Himself as Redeemer. You will get to enjoy the blessings of my glory because I will redeem you. I'm going to send my son, and I'm going to, through his ministry, I'm going to call some from every tribe, tongue, and nation throughout history and throughout the world to become participants in my heavenly glory. And so we don't have to to use prayer as a way to try to secure earthly blessing, and we don't have to use prayer as a way of trying to secure God's heavenly attention and intentions. What God has been revealing to us from the beginning is that all of this comes from Him to us. What we are called to do is to receive and to respond. And one of the chief ways that you and I receive and respond to the kingdom purposes of God in Jesus Christ is in prayer. Specifically, when we pray to our heavenly Father. He knows everything we need. We don't have to inform him of that. He's not ignorant of our needs. He's not impressed with our prayers. He's not impressed with our worship. He's not impressed with our obedience or with our devotion. He's not blind to to the needs that we have both inwardly and, and outwardly. He's not uninformed. He's not ignorant. He's not stubborn and he's not stingy. His purposes involve sharing his faithful love. Securing his faithful love. Sharing his faithful love. What God wants from us is to respond to his love by loving him and loving our neighbor. It is as simple as that. What makes it complicated. Is the ongoing sin in our hearts, in our neighbor, and in this broken, fallen, cursed world. That's what makes it difficult. Not him. And so Jesus tells us very clearly, when we pray, pray like this. Our Father, who is in the heavenlies. This is the same heaven or the same heavenlies that has been used up to this point in the Gospel of Matthew with relationship to Jesus' use of the word kingdom. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven that Jesus has been saying over and over and over again. That kingdom, as we have said, that kingdom of that realm of the unopposed glory of God, that's the God to whom we pray if we're going to live as a kingdom people who live as expressions of that kingdom here within this world, as Jesus will tell us to pray here, to pray that that kingdom comes in its ultimate fullness and consummation. If we're going to do that, we have to do so with prayer. And our prayer cannot start with us. Our prayer cannot start with the world. Our prayers cannot start with our neighbor. Our prayer must orient us to the one to whom we pray. And who is it that we are praying to? He is our Father. He is our Heavenly Father. The first part here of of this first line of the Lord's Prayer, or what we often refer to as the invocation is emphasizing God's paternal goodness. And the purpose of emphasizing this is so that it will evoke in us as we pray the intimacy and confidence of what is going on when we engage in kingdom prayer as kingdom disciples. Many of you already know that Jesus, in using the word "Father" here, is, has used the, the the version that expresses intimacy. It is it is a common word. It it's it's similar to to our word for "daddy." And don't push the metaphor further than what is it's it's supposed to be communicating. His use of "Abba" here, "Abba," is is not so that Jesus is you know. Re-entering his childhood phase, and you know, and and, and to speak of, of of God as daddy. The pur- the purpose here is in the expression of the intimate dependence that is found in that metaphor. Children use phrases like daddy and mommy because daddy and mommy is unique. To them. Your role as mother and father is utterly and completely unique to your child. They have no other relationship like that. And they will express that uniqueness and that intimacy and that dependence in the way that they address you. That's what Jesus is getting at. There is a unique relationship that God has to us. And the uniqueness of that relationship is that it is special. And it is intimate. Because God wants us to come to him in prayer. As we noted last week, what will we be doing for eternity? We will be praying. Every time we see the the heavenlies described for us in the book of Revelation, for example, or in Isaiah 6 that we saw this morning, is that there is praying going on. Now, in in the consummation of the kingdom, we won't be praying prayers of confession anymore because we will be perfected in Christ. But we will be praying prayers of, of adoration. We will be praying prayers that God be glorified and that his glory be magnified and enjoyed. We will be praying that God's will continues, not not because it is under threat, but because it will be for us at that time so truly and utterly appreciated that there will no longer be any competition within our hearts and minds. It will be the only thing that we want. We are going to be praying. We are going to be worshiping for the rest of eternity. And we begin that even now. God wants us coming to him in prayer. Not because of the the starting point that we have needs. He wants us to come to him in prayer because this is what it means to have him as father. And Jesus' use here of, of father as the invocation of prayer is utterly and completely and totally unique within the history of redemption. I was recently listening to a sermon by Sinclair Ferguson on this and and he he asked the congregation to take your bibles right those who have actual physical bibles it only works for those with actual physical copies of the bible today but take your bible take flip a couple pages back to where you find that that, that piece of paper that says New Testament on it or the piece of paper that says Intertestamental Period or whatever your Bible has. You, you flip back a couple of pages to the beginning uh, before Matthew and, and put your fing- you put your thumb there and then take your finger and put it on the outside of the cover. Are you doing it? I hear some pages flipping. You take your thumb and you put it at the beginning of Matthew. You take your finger and you put it on the outside edge of the front cover of your Bible. In that section that is between your finger and thumb, you will not find someone praying our Father. You will not find that until you get to the Gospel of Matthew What Jesus is doing here is teaching us to pray in a way that reflects the new identity we have in Christ that we participate in his praying to his Jesus prays this way because he is unique within redemptive history. He is unique within creation. He has a unique relationship to his heavenly father. And he expresses that uniqueness and that intimacy by saying, Father and beloved because of the ministry of Jesus Christ in what He has done, but also as He continues to intercede for us before the heavenly throne today. As He continues to say, My Father, we say with Christ, our Father. Your union with Christ draws you at where we are within this phase of redemptive history, into the very prayers of Christ, where not only is He praying for us, we enter into the praying of Christ, where we pray in Him. Which is why we close our prayers with In Jesus' name. Praying in the mediation of the praying of Christ. And so we pray our Father, as an expression of this new, intimate, confident relationship with God in Christ. Does God the Father say no to his Son? Well, no, because Jesus prays perfectly according to the Father's will when we pray according to his will, does he say no? This use of Father really is supposed to hit home to us the uniqueness of the intimacy and the confidence that the one to whom we pray has done everything needed to give us this privilege. And he stands there with open arms saying, come on, come to me, come to me, come to me, come to me. You don't have to get my attention. I am getting your attention. You don't have to make me care. I am helping you to care for the right things in the right ways for the right reasons. And so come to me and let me continue to form and mold you into the image of my Son as you participate in his praying by calling me Father. Secondly, the invocation points us to the transcendent power of God. It teaches us that we approach the one who is the god who is the father of the heavenly places. He is the one who transcends everything that he has made. And yet, though he is transcendent, he says, come to me. And the transcendence is so important to us because the transcendence is what reminds us that there is absolutely nothing that can stand against his glory. There is nothing that exists that can stop God from His original intention of making and redeeming a people for His glory. There is nothing that will stop that from happening. There is nothing that will get in the way. There is nothing that will hinder it. There is nothing that will, that will reduce it or slow it down or change it. There is nothing. That the God to whom we pray, who is the God of this realm, of the unopposed glory, of the one who has made everything, when we pray to him, that's who we're praying to. And if you're not praying that way, it is because your mind and your heart have become tied to earthly things. And you're unnecessarily limiting your prayers because your heart has become limited to something that is other than the utter and complete transcendent God who will and who must accomplish all the purposes of his glory. Jesus teaches us that the way we we, we respond to to that squeezing temptation of the world and the flesh and the devil to become focused on the limitations of the earthly, the way that we respond to that is by orienting ourselves over and over and over and over again to who we are in Christ, to the transcendent God. And that is what is to govern not only what we pray for, but why we're praying it and how we are praying it. We pray to the heavenly, transcendent, holy God that even the sinless seraphim are incapable of being in his presence safely without covering themselves. Is that how you pray? Is that what governs your heart? When you wake up in the morning and you start this new day, do you start it with that intimate, confident connection to the God of all glory and power and start your day with the conscious recognition that He's your Father who loves you and who cares for you and who wants you to come to Him over and over and over and over so He can bless and bless and bless and bless. Sometimes in the reform world we get a little uncomfortable with that language seeking God's blessing. Well that, that's for others. We don't need we don't need that. We've got theology. If we have our theology, we will strive and seek the blessing of God over and over and over again. And over. And we will do so through prayers in which we orient ourselves over and over again that God loves me. He wants me. He has secured me for himself in Christ. And I forever have a different relationship to him. And the blessedness of the kingdom that is experienced as we was described for us in the Beatitudes, that blessedness is experienced when we manifest our humble dependence on God by running to him with open arms and saying, not only do I need you, but I want you. Help me to truly embrace that you want me. Our Father, who art in heaven. We are to draw God with all holy reverence and confidence as children to a Father who is not only able and ready, but who wants to answer our prayers. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, so much of what we experience throughout the week is chipping away at at our our own self-understanding of that unique relationship that we have with you and with one another in Christ. And so help us, Lord, to be better practitioners of prayer so that in our praying itself, we would constantly reorient ourselves to what is true and good and beautiful of of what it means to, to be a participant in the unique, intimate relationship that exists between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, Lord, convince us to pray and convince us to give ourselves to prayer and convince us, Lord, to expand our prayers, knowing that the one to whom we pray is far more capable of doing and being what we even can think up in our imaginations to pray for. Father, overwhelm us with your transcendence so that it would draw us through the practice of prayer more and more to give ourselves to you, to glorify and enjoy you, and to be those who who live before your face in the honest speaking and listening that takes place now because Christ is speaking for us. Father, bless us indeed that we would take in more of your glory so that we would have more of that to share with as we seek to bear witness to your kingdom and to your glory forevermore. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.